This episode was brought to you by The V-Pod, a zero-period podcasting class at Viewpoint School. If you enjoy this, check out our other episodes. Valentine's Day is an incredibly popular holiday, and yet not many people know about its quite frankly strange origins. From outlawed marriages to women being slapped with goat skin, Valentine's Day has had a weird past, and today I'll be discussing that past as we dive into the strange and interesting history of Valentine's Day. Chapter 1, St. Valentine. I find the best place to start when researching something is with its name, and so the first tidbit of history we'll explore is who exactly was St. Valentine. Now, the Catholic Church recognizes three different priests named Valentine, and all three were martyred. The first story of Valentine says he was a priest living in Rome in the 3rd century. The emperor was Claudius II at the time, and he needed soldiers for his army, and realized that single men were better soldiers than married ones. So, he did the only thing rational to do, and completely outlawed marriage for all young men. Valentine, seeing the injustice in this act, took it upon himself to marry young lovers in secret. However, after being found out, Valentine was put to death. The second story of Valentine says he was instead a bishop from a city called Terni, though not much else of the story changes, and he's beheaded by Claudius in the end. The third story of Valentine has him help persecuted Christians escape from prison where they are being beaten and tortured, until again he gets caught and is put to death by Claudius. All three Valentines, though, also share another story that takes place while he was in prison waiting to be executed. Valentine had fallen in love with the jailer's daughter, who had visited him a number of times during his incarceration, and right before he was about to be executed, he wrote a letter to the jailer's daughter, professing his love for her, and he signed the letter as your Valentine, which serves as the origin story of that phrase. Now, despite being slightly different in each of his stories, St. Valentine is always portrayed as a sympathetic, heroic, and most importantly, romantic person, and his portrayal absolutely serves as one of the influences for modern Valentine's Day. Now, while St. Valentine is what the holiday is named after, he isn't the only thing hiding in Valentine's Day's past, as the next tidbit of history I'm going to give out is not only my personal favorite piece of history we'll talk about today, but also one of the strangest. Chapter 2. Lupercalia. Valentine's Day occurs in the middle of February, and while some may think that this is likely due to it corresponding with St. Valentine's death, there is a much more likely reason for why it occurs at this time. That is, because Valentine's Day may have been placed strategically to try and Christianize a Roman holiday that occurred on the 15th of February, known as Lupercalia. Lupercalia was a holiday celebrating both the god of forests and fields Faunus and the two founders of Rome, Romulus and Remus, and during this holiday people did some really weird things. The holiday started when a special order of Roman priests known as the Luperci gathered at a sacred cave said to be the place where Romulus and Remus were raised by a she-wolf. The Luperci would then sacrifice a goat for fertility and a dog for purity and the goat hide would be cut into strips and then dipped in sacrificial blood. Once the goat hide had been dipped into blood, men would take the strips and run naked around the city and slap any women in fields with the goat skins to make them more fertile. Though, as time went on, the men started to wear clothes and the women were slapped more gently or on the hands. 
Later in the day, after the slapping of the goatskins, all young women in the city would then place their names into a large urn, and any bachelors in the city would pull out a name, and those two would be paired until the next Lupercalia, unless they decided to get together full time, which they often did, and many people were married through this tradition. There was also a feast of Lupercal, which was a city-wide feast where they would often eat large amounts of goat, though this feast wasn't really that weird in any way. Though, still, Lupercalia is one of the strangest things about Valentine's Day's past, and to be honest, it isn't that surprising that the Catholic Church would have wanted to cover up this holiday with one of their own. Now that we've covered both St. Valentine and Lupercalia, there is only one more piece of ancient Valentine's Day's history we will be checking out. And that is the little mischievous cherub you all know and love, maybe, named Cupid. Chapter 3 Cupid Slasheros Cupid was not always depicted as the pudgy little angel he is today, and his origins stem back farther than even Roman society. Cupid was the Roman name for a Greek god known as Eros. Eros was the god of love and desire, and was often portrayed as being the son of Aphrodite and Ares. However, he has also been depicted as the son of Nyx, the personification of night, and Erebus, the personification of darkness, as well as the son of Iris, the personification of the rainbow, and a messenger of the gods, and Zephyrus, the god of the west wind and spring. Eros also didn't always look like the cherub he is today, and in many of his earlier myths, such as the myth of Eros and Psyche, he is depicted as an incredibly handsome young man. Speaking of Eros and Psyche, Eros's most common partner in myths was his wife Psyche, who was the personification of the human soul, with Psyche literally meaning soul in Greek, and was more beautiful than even Aphrodite, which served as the catalyst for the Eros and Psyche myth, though that's a story for another time. Eros's arrows of love also were a staple of his since his earlier stories, in which he would shoot people in the hearts with golden arrows to make them fall in love, and lead ones to make them hate each other. In some stories, Eros's arrows are so powerful they can even affect gods. During the Hellenistic period of Greece, around 323 BCE to 31 BCE, Eros began to resemble the more widely known depiction of him as a mischievous cherub, and, as the Roman Empire grew, Eros became more widely known as Cupid. Leaving behind some of his more ancient history, Cupid was then picked up by card makers for Valentine's Day around the 1800s. By the 1900s, he had become the semi-mascot of Valentine's Day, appearing in a great deal of Valentine's Day-related products. Now that we've covered all the major ancient pieces of Valentine's Day history, we're going to jump forward a bit and see how some more modern parts of Valentine's Day appeared and grew over time. Chapter 4 Valentine's Day The first thing to know about modern Valentine's Day is that it was not always related to romantic love. The first example of Valentine's Day being seen as a romantic day occurred in the 14th century, when a poet named Geoffrey Chaucer wrote a poem called Parliament of Fowls in 1375 that said, For this was sent on St. Valentine's Day, when every fowl cometh there to choose his mate. Valentine's Day was also thought to be the start of birds' mating season in France and England during the Middle Ages, aiding the transition of Valentine's Day into a romantic holiday. Valentine's Day greetings also occurred around the 1400s, and the oldest Valentine's Day greeting ever found was from 1415 by Charles, Duke of Orleans, who was writing to his wife while imprisoned in the Tower of London following his capture at the Battle of Agincourt. Next, we'll go forward by a few centuries to the late 1700s, where Valentine's Day is now becoming quite popular around the world, and around this time, 
Valentine's Day is becoming a much bigger thing in America, too. And by the end of the 18th century, it had become customary to give friends and family gifts and tokens of affection during Valentine's Day. While these gifts nowadays are mostly cards and chocolates, back then it could be a number of things, but one of the more common things was a kind letter with a bit of money attached to it. By the 1900s, handwritten letters were being quickly phased out by printed cards, and most of those printed cards contained images of Cupid on them. The first mass producing of Valentine's Day cards was in the 1840s, when a businesswoman by the name of Esther A. Howland believed that she could become rich by being the main seller of Valentine's Day cards. Howland became known as the mother of the Valentine, and greatly influenced the use of cards over handwritten letters. Now, over 145 million cards are sold each year because of Valentine's Day, making it the second largest card-sending holiday in the world, only beaten by Christmas. And there you have it. That was all of the major pieces of Valentine's Day's history. Uh, I, I really hope you enjoyed it and learned some fun new facts along the way. Uh, I sure know I did while researching this. Um, and I gotta say, this has been a really fun episode to make, and to be honest, I absolutely plan to do this again when St. Patrick's Day rolls around or something else like that. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening. Check out our other stuff on the VPod. It's all really interesting, I promise. Oh, um, yeah, also check out the website. I believe it should be on the bulletin somewhere, probably around where the other podcast things are also listed. Uh, it also might be in the description of a few episodes. I'm not super sure on that, but yeah, check that out. Uh, and that's all. Thanks for listening. Thank you to History.com for providing most of the info used in this episode, as well as Fake You for providing the auto-generated voice used for the chapter transitions.